Hello and welcome to Reactive's Yellow Room. I am Evi Chiori and this week we are focusing on the ratification of the EU's post-Brexit trade agreement with the UK. What is the next day of the economic and the diplomatic relations between the two parties? And from the Parliament voting we move to Czech Republic and Prime Minister Babish, who more or less refer to the EU's Commission auditors as Mafia. How is the Commission dealing with this new headache and how is the Czech Prime Minister supporting his allegations? Almost five years after the UK voted to leave the bloc, the EU lawmakers endorsed a trade deal that defines the economic relations between the EU and the UK. To break down the components of the deal, we spoke with Euractiv's Benjamin Fox. So, Ben, this past Tuesday, EU lawmakers had a meeting to ratify the bloc's post-Brexit trade agreement with the UK. So, what are the new developments on that front? The vote this week is basically, basically a rubber stamping exercise. Um, you know, MEPs needed to, um, were required to ratify the trade and cooperation agreement that was very hurriedly agreed on New Year's Eve. And there was no real question that they wouldn't vote in favour. But this kind of formality needed to be concluded in, in order to, you know, formally ratify the agreement. But at the same time, you know, as we've seen, there are still, you know, there have been a lot of teething problems in the first couple of months of this agreement. Both trade flows between the EU and the UK have been disrupted. And obviously, we have the, we still have difficulties over the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Those tensions have delayed the Parliament's vote. The deadline for Parliament ratifying this deal was the end of February. Uh, but then, you know, in the wake of the row over the protocol and the European Commission's very short-lived attempt to um, invoke the protocol to block uh, coronavirus vaccines uh, to Northern Ireland. The European Parliament has kind of used that, that those difficulties as a, and, and the need for their vote as a bargaining chip against the UK. And you are referring to the agreement, but what exactly is this agreement and what can we expect in practice? This is a pretty basic off-the-shelf free trade agreement. It doesn't cover very much. Um, it basically, it's tariff-free and uh, quota-free trade um, on goods. It doesn't cover services. Um, so, for example, financial services are not included, which is obviously one of the UK's biggest markets. And as we've seen, the City of London in particular appears to have lost quite a, a large chunk of business um, to Amsterdam and other EU cities. And as a result, we are seeing businesses from across a number of sectors turning around and saying, hang on, this is really disruptive and this is going to impose long-term costs on us. And although in February the, um, the trade statistics um, for UK exports to the EU recovered significantly, they're still lower, much lower than they were a year ago. Much of that can be attributed to the COVID pandemic, but I think there is also a clear sense that this trade pact means that there is no longer frictionless trade between the EU and the UK, and that imposes long-term costs on businesses and consumers. 
Mm-hmm. And do we already have a reaction from the UK? Do we maybe have a statement from uh, Boris Johnson? The UK has obviously welcomed the fact that the, the MEPs have, have ratified the trade deal, but they're still they're still pushing for particularly the Northern Ireland Protocol uh, to be adjusted, primarily to avoid. Uh, the introduction of uh, customs checks on goods traveling from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. And speaking of Northern Ireland, a couple of weeks ago, we had the chance to learn a bit more on what is happening there. But it seems like the tension both in social and political uh, level is continuing. Nobody should underestimate how fragile the situation is in Northern Ireland. Yesterday we saw uh, Arlene Foster, the first minister of the Northern Ireland Assembly government, and the leader of the biggest party in the province, uh, being forced to resign by her own party. And in large part, that's because of criticism of her role in the Brexit process, because Arlene Foster basically gave Boris Johnson a blank check in the Brexit negotiations vis-a-vis Northern Ireland. And the protocol which Johnson negotiated and agreed, whatever anybody says, it's very bad for the um, for the unionist community in Northern Ireland. By imposing customs checks on goods traveling from Britain to Northern Ireland, it does separate the province from the rest of the UK. And that is a serious political problem. I have to stress it's, it's, it's largely self-created by Johnson and by the British, but it, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be worked out. And on a diplomatic level, how is this agreement affecting the relations between the EU and the UK? I'm only mentioning this because the relations between the two parts are already a bit tense, I would say. Now that the, the trade agreement has been has been ratified, several of the MEPs uh, involved in drafting the Parliament's position on on the trade pact said this week that it's time it's time to you know move the page and that this formally ends the Brexit process. The UK is still a European country despite Brexit, and these two blocs have to work together, and they have to learn to work together in this new context. So I do think that kind of pragmatism will eventually win the day, and that um, you know we will see compromise on Northern Ireland, on, for example, um, the rules around the processing and transfer of uh, cross-border data. That's something that still needs to be ironed out. UK access on final financial services you know, mutual access on fisheries and fishing waters, which is, again, something that the French government has has complained about this week. All of these specific issues and uh, and sectors, that they're all going to need attention and, and, co- and cooperation over the coming years. Well, thank you for being with me today, Ben. Uh, if you want to learn more on this topic, please do follow the latest development on Euractiv.com. You are listening to Euractiv's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app. And moving to another topic, and actually to another capital, this time in Prague, where the past week has been a bit noisy after the Czech Prime Minister Babish referred to the European Commission's auditors as mafia. To break down the story behind these allegations, I spoke with Aneta Zachova, editor-in-chief of Euractiv Czech Republic. 
So, Aneta, what is the story behind these allegations? Uh, it is no secret that the Czech Prime Minister Andrei Babiš was a very successful businessman in agricultural sector before he entered politics. In uh, 2017, uh, when the Czech law called Lex Babiš was approved in order to ban government members to own companies, he decided to put his agrofert holding um, company that is really a giant in the Czech market into so-called trust funds. Till then, there is ongoing discussion in Czechia if this was enough to cut ties between Babish and the company. Of course, it is a very catchy topic for opposition parties and organizations like Transparency International. And uh, given the fact that Agrofert is receiving hefty funding from the European Union, the Transparency International accused Babish from a conflict of interest. Two years ago, EU Commission's auditors concluded that due to the previous relations of Babish with Agrofert, there was a conflict of interest. The government didn't publish the findings at that time. However, the findings ended up in the media, causing criticism from the opposition. And now, the government supports that the auditor's report isn't final and it has to be changed. European Commission published the whole audit report. European Commission even admitted that it is not any ordinary move to publish audit report, but uh, the topic is uh, so important for the public that everyone should have the possibility to really see the report. And of course, after this publication, Czech media and opposition parties launched a storm in Czech Republic. And could we say that there is something that smells a little bit funny there? And how is Prime Minister Babish defending his position right now? He said that the European Commission's auditors are mafia organized by Czech opposition. And I think that such a statement is really controversial because he literally brought the European institutions in question. The situation here is not very transparent and it is really hard to say whether, for example, Babish could somehow help Agrofert holding to receive more EU funding than it should. A um, few months ago, Babish tried to defend himself, saying that when the government is taking decisions related to EU funding, he goes behind the doors. Ah. <laughs> uh, such claim seems... So the Prime Minister hasn't really contributed to deciding about these fundings? As you can imagine, uh, such statement only uh, launched another wave of criticism in the Czech Republic. There is also a problem that a Czech state, like the government, is now arguing with the European Commission auditors and is somehow trying to protect Agrofert. So it means that they are not only protecting interests of the Czech Republic, as they should, but they are uh, protecting business interests of our prime minister. And that's very controversial. And what is the commission's reaction to these allegations? A statement from European Commission Vice President Viera Jurova, who is um, Czech commissioner, and she said to Czech Daily Hospodářské noviny that the European Commission should inquire into whether the case of Andrei Babiš and Agrofert 
is an individual case or whether in the Czech Republic we face kind of a systematic failure regarding the conflict of interest. Uh, that's very worrying because if the Commission were to conclude uh, that there is such a systematic failure, it could then cut funding uh, from the EU budget to whole country. Um, it means that problems that are now concerning uh, Czech Prime Minister and his company could impact not only his business or the business of Agrofert, but the whole country and like the Czech citizens, because uh, right now the Czech Republic is really dependent on European Union funding. And it will be even more in the future, of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic crisis. Another really shady piece of information that I feel like I have to mention somehow is the fact that Agrofert Holding owns Czech media house Mafra, one of the biggest media companies in the country, right? Now, the commission auditors say that Babish controls Agrofert. Does it mean that he also controls a part of the Czech media? Right now in the Czech Republic, there is a legal case ongoing that is dealing exactly with what you have just said. Uh, again, the organization Transparency International sued Babish uh, for control over media. Uh, so the Czech court is now assessing whether Babish really controls not only Agrofert, but also the media, the media house Mafra, we don't know the conclusions yet, but only such an accusation, uh, only such suspicions, sheds a really bad light on Czech media landscape. So right now, all these medias are somehow considered not as uh, independent media, but as uh, Babish media. Uh, so when uh, the European Commission auditors concluded that Babish controls Agrofert, it literally means that he controls also these media. And how are the Czechs perceiving all this? Is this something that could cause Babish politically? Yeah, of, of course. Um, it's true that uh, Babish in past weeks, he lost his dominant position in opinion polls. I have to say that this is more uh, about how he managed the COVID-19 pandemic, that people are just uh, not very happy about the unpopular decisions made by the government. But um, still, like this uh, new uh, conclusion of uh, the European Commission's auditors is um, another drop uh, that is causing like the lose of trust on the other hand, uh, still in the Czech Republic, there is a camp, let's say, of his fans and voters that are still convinced that all these accusations are only campaign against Babish. Even Babish says that uh, there is something like a jihad ongoing against his, him and that uh, there are forces that want to push him out of politics. Well, thank you, Aneta, for shedding some light on this story. And our time is up for this week. I am Evi Kiori, and this was your Active Yellow Room. 
We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.